0: Good morning, church. So, Where Is God When It Hurts? That is the name of a book by Philip Yancey, which I wonder if Rowan was referring to that. when, uh, Which I read uh, many years ago. Um, it's a really good book, all about basically the book of Job and what Job's about. Um, I wrote my own book as well um, as a result. Well, not as a result of that book, but I think pain and suffering is something that we in Christians, as Christians need to think about. So I wrote my own book as well. And I'm kind of... That was a few years ago now. I'm kind of ref, going to reflect today on some of the thoughts from that book, because obviously the book of Job is, is all about this, uh, this area. So it works. So a recap from last time, um, where Rowan uh, opened the series on the book of Job. Um, just in summary, is, you know, looking at the first couple of chapters, Job was blameless and upright, And yet, God permits, God allows Satan to strike everything he has, and then after that, to strike his flesh and bones. Not the easiest thing to happen to someone. For me, the, the conclusion of last time has to be just the simple thing, that bad things happen to good people. Job was blameless and upright, and yet this happened to him. All this bad stuff, and God's allowed that to happen. The harder conclusion of last last time, I think, is also actually that God is in some way responsible for that. You know, it was God speaking to Satan and God allowing this suffering to happen. So it's not going to be a very light sermon today, so apologies for that. Um, But God allows it. So this week, uh, we're going to look at Job's response. So this is Job talking with his friends. Most of the book of Job is a conversation between Job and his friends and they're trying to make sense of what's gone on, what's happened. Um, I want to kind of... One way to think of it is like Easter Saturday, this conversation. So the crucifixion has happened. The disciples are in the upper room. They're trying to make sense of it. They don't understand it. Easter Sunday has not yet come. Easter Sunday will come. but At the moment, we're in the Easter Saturday situation. So let's go on to the next one. All right. So I want to frame the, the problem, frame the discussion. It was kind of summarized by some of those prayers from the children, one, one of whom wrote uh, God, Why Is there War, which is really the question of Job. Uh, but to frame the question, can I have three volunteers, please? <laughs> <laughs> right. Excellent. So I guess, yeah, if you stand in a row... so the Bible says and the book of Job say three truths in in some of the books they refer to this as the triple affirmation Um, and they hold them together so each person here is going to be one of the truths so let's go for Mark you get to be God is good Andy, you get to be God is all-powerful. I'm afraid, Martin, you get to be evil exists, which is, that's kind of the sure straw. <laughs> right, so the Bible, the Bible says all three. So if we imagine it as like this piece of string, right? So Mark, if you could hold this, and hold it up quite high. So it's the top of a, a triangle. So that's Mark's hand there represents God is good. The Bible f- consistently says God is good. We know that truth to be true. Andy, could you hold that one? This bit of string, that, that point of the triangle, says God is all-powerful. Those, tr- those two truths are fine together, right? There's no problem. The string, overall, is loose. There's no tension there. But then we're going to add the third truth, which the Bible also says, which Martin's showing. That's evil exists. Suddenly, the string is tense. Okay, there's a real problem there. That string could break. And actually, some... So, People who don't believe, and you know, atheists will often argue, that doesn't work. This is too tense. You cannot hold these three truths together because they are putting against each other too much. And we, as Christians, can be tempted to try and find an easy way out. So we could be, if Andy, if you loosen a bit, we could say, God, he's all-powerful, but actually he's limited. He can't do everything. The, you know the, we could say the sin in the world and so on is so much that he can't stop evil existing. We could therefore loosen God's all-powerful nature in order to resolve that tension. And if you pull it back, the other response, and Martin, if you loosen there, is to say, actually, it's not really evil. And this is what Job's friends uh, talk about, which Hannah will talk about later, um, that actually it's just God's loving discipline or it's punishment, or, you know, he's doing it to make you better. Every cloud has a silver lining. We can all be guilty of saying that kind of stuff. The Bible doesn't say that, so if you pull it back, it just keeps that tension. Um, And then maybe, and the atheist might say, God is not good. And suddenly, it's loose, yes. (laughs) So, yeah, and I just, I want you to kind of bear these three truths in place. Two of them are great. God is good. God is all-powerful. One of them, not so great. Um, the temptation is to take that easy way out and compromise. The Bible doesn't. It does not compromise on this. Thanks very much. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers. All right. So, let's see what Job says about this. Now, apologies to Rowan, I was given chapters 3 and 19 to do, but I kind of, I, I read, and that's two of uh, two chapters where Job is talking and trying to wrestle with this problem, but I spent the week reading the, the whole book, and I thought, I'm kind of doing the whole book instead, <laughs> so <laughs> I, re, I read through one side of the argument, which is, what does Job say in this situation? And there are various, essentially, themes that run through what he says. And he kind of consistently returns to them. Um, So apologies, I can't really refer you to chapter and verse. I'm just going to be skipping around two verses here, two verses there, and so on. But I want to present these themes to you. So So this is my summary. Number one, Job feels attacked by God. As Job says, The arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks in their poison. God's terrors are marshaled against me. If I have sinned, what have I done to you? You who see everything we do, why have you made me your target? Have I become a burden to you? God assails me and tears me in his anger and gnashes his teeth at me. My opponent fastens on me his piercing eyes. God has turned me over to the ungodly and thrown me into the clutches of the wicked. All was well with me, but he shattered me. He seized me by the neck and crushed me. He has made me his target. His archers surround me. Without pity, he pierces my kidneys and spills my gall on the ground. Again and again, he bursts upon me. He rushes at me like a warrior. His anger burns against me. He counts me among his enemies. Job doesn't pull any punches. Job doesn't care that God allowed this to happen, that it was the work of Satan. Job is going to, he's saying, no, it's God I want to talk to. It's God that I'm angry about angry with, is God that I feel attacked by. And then at other times he remembers his friendship with God. And there's a real tragedy there. He talks about, oh for the days when I was in my prime when God's intimate friendship blessed my house. Job is broken by this situation. He literally says, my spirit is broken. My days are cut short. The grave awaits me. There's I'm slightly nervous talking about this. There's a, a very good hymn that's very popular, um, that, uh, the hymn, It Is Well In My Soul. And so I've had it preached on a couple of times, and I think it's good. It's, it's a good hymn. Um, but we can fall into a trap if we, if we follow that hymn too literally. When we are going through pain and suffering, I don't think God wants us to say, It is well in my soul. I think he wants us to be honest with him, and I think the the danger of that hymn is if we try to skip to the end, we try to skip to that "It is well within my soul." Instead of actually saying, "You know, right? You know what? Right now, my spirit is broken." Um, as a bishop of Durham once said, I've got a quote for you, talking about Paul when he refers to the the thorn in the flesh. Paul records the. Re- repeated entreaty to God, without any regret, with no trace of feeling that he ought to have endured in silence. Learn to suffer without crying out is a noble precept. I should explain this bishop was Victorian, so it's one of those. <laughs> um, but the maxim has no bearing upon Christ to God, to the Christ of God. Too ready, too outspoken, too confiding we cannot be in telling Jesus all. Such crying out will not weaken us, it will only strengthen us. For it is the outgoing of our soul, not only to infinite wisdom and strength, it is taking refuge in the rock. So just an encouragement there. I think when we, when we suffer, when things happen in our lives and we can't make sense of them, I think it's good to say in faith it is well with my soul." it's good to kind of reach out and, you know, look towards Easter Sunday. But I think it can also be good to say, God, I don't understand this. I know that you're good, I know that you're powerful, and yet this evil happened. Why did you let that happen? I think that's a really good prayer. You don't stray too far, you don't curse God, you remember who God is, you remember he's your father, but to say to God in honesty, I don't understand, is a brilliant thing to say. Carry on the summary of what Job says. Job is angry with his friends, who aren't particularly being very helpful. But my brothers are as undependable, as intermittent streams, as the streams that overflow. There's about 20 or 30 verses vo- of Job attacking his friends. And I thought, it's not very edifying to repeat. So <laughs> I'll leave it at that. And I think next up, the theme that Job returns to again and again, and I think it's crucial for the understanding of the book of Job, is that Job wants to take God to court he wants a court case against God because he thinks God has wronged him. But he thinks that this is impossible due to the power imbalance between Job and God. As Job says, But I desire to speak to the Almighty and to argue my case with God. Now that I have prepared my case, I know I will be vindicated. Only grant me these two things, God, and then I will not hide from you. Withdraw your hand far from me and stop frightening me with your terrors. Then summon me and I will answer, or let me speak and you reply to me. Though they wished to dispute with him, they could not answer him one time out of a thousand. His wisdom is profound, his power is vast. Who has resisted him and come out unscathed? How can I dispute with him? How can I find words to argue with him? Though I were innocent, I could not answer him. I could only plead with my judge for mercy. Even if I summoned him, And he responded, I do not believe he would give me a hearing. If it is a matter of strength, he is mighty. If it is a matter of justice, who can challenge him? Even if I were innocent, my mouth would condemn me. If I were blameless, it would pronounce me guilty. He is not a mere mortal like me that I might answer him, that we might confront each other in court. If only I knew where to find him, if only I could go to his dwelling. I would state my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would find out... Uh, what he would answer me, and consider what he would say to me. Would he vigorously oppose me? No, he would not press charges against me. There the upright can establish their innocence before him, and there I would be delivered forever from my judge. Why does the Almighty not set times for judgment? Why must those who know him look in vain for such days? So the first couple of chapters of Job set up the book of Job as A trial of Job, the test of Job and his faithfulness to God. But actually, Job slightly turns it on his head, and he sees it as a trial of God. This is a trial of God's faithfulness to Job, and and, and God's justice, and and the truths that God is all-powerful, and God is good. The, uh, The sufferer asked to be listened to, I think just one important note before we go on, that Job's friends listened to him, despite their their failings and so on. They listened to him. They let him go through this process rather than hushing him up. Um, There's an author we're going to come on to called Eli, I think it's pronounced Eli Weisel, who's um, a Jewish man who who went through the Holocaust and the the death camps and survived and then wrote extensively about it. And there's one quote from him that I really like. He said, every question contains a power that was lost in the answer. I think sometimes as Christians, we can be too quick to answer people's questions and not let them keep those questions and hold them, and those questions to breathe and let God then speak into them rather than us give easy answers. Uh, Then let's go on. So that's a picture of Eli Wiesel and God in the dock in the book of Job. Well, that's where Job wants to place God. So E.R. Yeah, advisor actually tells a story and, and writes about it, uh, apparently a true story. Um, in one of the concentration camps, uh, some Jewish rabbis and Jewish people are, are so dismayed and upset by what's happening to them. They actually hold a mock trial of God, You know, one arguing defending God and one attacking God, trying to hold God to account for what's happened. Another... Um, Book I'm a very big fan of is The Brothers Karamazov um, by Dostoevsky, the Russian writer. And Ivan Karamazov is uh, an atheist, and he, and it's and it's partly because of this problem of evil, he wants to hold God to account. Um, and he says, he's kind of describing. He, there's a a bit in the book where they talk about some of the horrific things that have happened. My wife has wisely told me not to quote this because it's really hardcore. Um, But bad things happen. We know this. Really bad things happen. There's all that's going on in Ukraine at the moment. I've touched upon the Holocaust. I'm sure we can all think of tragedies in our own lives. And Ivan attacks God for this. He says, it's just too much. And the, the quote from Ivan is, Imagine that you yourself are building the edifice of human destiny with the object of making people happy in the finale. And for that, you must inevitably and unavoidably torture, just, that's torture, just one tiny creature, and then raise your edifice on the foundation of the unrequited tears. Would you you agree to be the architect on such a condition? So Ivan is angry with God and he's turned away from God tragically as a result of this, rather than dwelling with God. Mm -hmm. This is the response to reject God, which, frankly, we can sympathize with. I don't think any of us would build an edifice on that. And I think it must be quite... (laughs) Well, I'm understating. It must be tough for God. We can talk about stories, and we can talk about millions of people dying, but the fact is God knows every single one of them. Every single one of them is one of his children, and every single one of them he loves just as much as he loves each of us. So God knows Job. He knows what he watched, what Job went through. He was with Job in that. Now for the, uh, that same bishop of Durham, his, his, he had a daughter called Tessie. And she had a terminal illness. And at the age of 22, she died. Um, this was obviously very tough and so on. But she walked with God all the way through. Really walked with God. And I think, I think it was in her last ever letter that she wrote, uh, she wrote, it's better to walk in the dark with God than to walk alone in the light. And so our faith... We must be able to walk in the dark with God at times. We must, you know, our faith must work in these situations, in these extreme situations, not just when ev- everything's going well. Our faith must work when everything's going badly. Set up a bit of a problem here, I think. <laughs> it's going to start getting a bit lighter. um so the other, the other strand, and it's that Job talks about is the need of an arbiter between him and God and his suspicion that one exists. As Job says, "If only there were someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together, someone to remove God's rod from me, so that this terror sorry, sorry, so that his terror would frighten me no more." And then he guesses. It's just, I find it one of the most amazing prophecies in the Old Testament. As Job says, even now, my witness is in heaven. My advocate is on high. My intercessor is my friend. As my eyes pour out tears to God, on behalf of a man, he pleads with God. As one pleads for a friend, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end, he will stand on the earth. And it's like Job in the midst of this, He's wrestling with God. He's saying, "I don't understand this. I don't understand. I've lived a blameless life, and so on, um, and yet you've allowed this tremendous suffering to happen to me and my family." But he just—he suspects. He's like something's not quite right here. I know, my God, something's not quite right. And so he guesses that Jesus is coming, which I just find amazing. the The picture up there that I did is—it's uh, the idea that he's in the midst of darkness and despair but he just knows if I can just scratch scratch beneath that, I will see that there is light, that there is my savior. So what does that redeemer look like? We all know the, well, well I think a lot of us know the story of um, Jesus and Lazarus. This is the story, so Jesus the redeemer, This is the story where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. But of course, if you read the story that John presents it again, as the Bible does always, in a very uncompromising way. Jesus is with his disciples, and some people come from, or messengers or someone from Lazarus and and his family, saying, Lazarus, your friend, um, is ill, um, and he's going to die. And Jesus delays two days. He, spends, he delays going to see his friend, to comfort his friend. So that when he finally gets there, Lazarus has died. And both Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sister, sisters, say, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This is, of course, a statement of faith um, in Jesus and his healing powers. There's also a statement of admonishment. They're blaming him. They're saying, this is your fault. Why did you let this happen? And what's, what is, was Jesus' response? The shortest be- verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. When we suffer, God suffers. When he sees our pain, he's, suffers. he suffers. He is fully aware of the consequence of all this stuff. And so he's with us in it. But then also we know his further response. Jesus heals Lazarus from the dead. There is Easter Sunday is coming, Esther as the phrase goes. So. so it's all very heavy. We'll go on to the last slide now. We're nearly nearly there. So, where is God when it hurts? There, There's a film called Life is Beautiful. It's an Italian film. I can't pronounce Italian, but it's like La Vida e Bella. Um, and it was filmed, I think it was in the 90s or so. It's, Ironically, it's a comedy, but it's all about the Holocaust and what happened there. Um, And there's a a family, so you've got an Italian wife um, and a Jewish father and son. And Second World War comes along and the father and son are taken onto a train um, to go to the camps. The the wife doesn't have to go on the train because she's Italian, she's not Jewish. And so under the insane rules of the Nazis, she doesn't have to get on the train. But she goes to the train station anyway. And she demands to get on the train. She doesn't ask, she demands. If you've ever tried to get between a mother and their children, you know what that looks like. The Nazi guard is tries to dissuade her, because he knows where the train's going. But he... He fails. She demands she gets on the train. Why? Because she wants to suffer with them. Where they go sorry. where they go, she goes. And I think the cross has an element of that. The cross is, is as if God's saying, "I'm going to create a world." Um, and for good reason, there will be evil in it. We could go into the philosophy of the reasons and so on, but I think that's a waste of time because that's not what matters. God says, for good reason, there's going to be evil on it. But I'm not prepared to stand up here and watch. God demands to get involved. He demands to get on the train. He demands to get on the cross And suffer the very worst consequences of the evil that we see in the world. And that's the the point of Job. It's the, the point of the Bible that God suffers alongside us. The cross is a response. In the cross, Jesus suffers evil, in the cross, Jesus confronts evil. But also in the cross, Jesus defeats evil because we know that Easter Sunday is coming. So, where is God when it hurts? He's in the dying child. Where is God when it hurts? He's in the weeping. Where is God when it hurts? He's suffering. Where is God when it hurts? He's right here with us in the midst of it. Where is God when it hurts? He's on the cross. So I just encourage you, There's, I think in all our lives we will come across suffering and that will be hard to take. And maybe some of us already struggled at times with this and struggled with understanding. We don't get it. We're like, I don't get this, God. I don't get this. That's okay. I just encourage you, in that, if you're in that situation, to take that to God and to take that to the cross where you can meet him there.